Hey, food people. Today, I am so excited to talk to two utterly delightful and maybe unlikely friends, co-stars, and kitchen companions, Drew Barrymore and Pilar Valdez. Pilar is Drew's personal chef, the chef on The Drew Barrymore Show on CBS, and they co-wrote a cookbook called Rebel Homemaker, Food, Family, Life, which is out now. And today on the show, we're going to talk about a few of the recipes in the book and also get a window into how food brought these two women together. So to start, I want to go back to the beginning because I believe that every great duo has a great origin story and I want to hear yours. So Drew, you start. Tell me the story of how you met from your perspective. Yeah, I want to hear Pilar's perspective, even though I feel like I know what she would say. But I was living in a rental apartment. I was getting divorced. And when all your plans blow up in your face, especially when there are kids involved, I learned it's the highest stakes of your life. And so that's where I was at when I met Pilar. And I remember being in this weird rental kitchen It was this weird, white, (laughs) modern kitchen, the antithesis of everything that is indicative of my style or my soul. And when we would talk and we would cook and we would just talk about spices and flavors and life and travel and experiences and being self-taught and self-made, I started to feel some of my pain drift away and I felt more distracted, like there was something lovely I could put myself into. That's my version of the story. What's yours? (laughs) Yeah, Pilar, let's hear it from you. Well, I think Drew always refers to that time in her life as this great transition, you know, on, on multiple levels. And I think for me as well, I was also going through a very big transition. I have a catering company called Kickshaw Cookery, and a few years prior, my business partner had left to Texas to move closer to family, and I've always worked best in community. So I was just like, okay, I'm going to pause and step back a little. And it was around that time when I was trying to figure out what to do moving forward with my cooking. One day I wake up to an email. I think it was like at 4.30 in the morning, which is usually when I get up for my kitchen shifts anyway. And oh my the, God. the subject line was, you know, uh, chef with Drew Barrymore. And I literally thought I was being punk. And I like, <laughs> I woke my husband up and I was like, what the hell? I was like, what the hell is this? I mean, it was really kind of ridiculous. You were transitioning to live in New York and I was just like, this is bananas and so outside of what I even would have been considering. And I'm just going to say yes. Let's just see where that goes. And in retrospect, it really feels like the universe was flinging us together. I mean, I grew up in Manila. I obviously grew up watching you on TV, but never, I think, in my wildest dreams would I ever have thought that this is sort of where I would have landed? I mean, I feel like so much of our early time together was really just around the kitchen table and sort of chatting and telling stories from our very different lives, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and bonding over food. You know, one of the reasons I started cooking professionally was really about feeding others and believing in relationships that are built over shared meals and food and I feel like this one is true testament to that. Pilar, you started cooking really for Drew and Drew's family. Yeah. I want to hear more about what you were cooking for 
Drew and her family and how you go about this process? Because you had never been a personal chef before, worked with someone as closely as this. Not as closely. And you probably didn't know I was just going to be there the whole time, psycho (laughs) staring at you, talking to you. Well, it's it's really funny because, you know, when (laughs) when I chat amongst friends that, you know, have worked sort of in people's homes and stuff, and sometimes it's very intimidating. People are right there. But what was really lovely is how we would start our days. We had morning time together. I know. And Drew has one of the most impressive cookbook collections ever. And we literally would lay out the cookbooks on the kitchen island and they'd be doggy-eared and we'd sort of be flipping through them being like, oh, maybe we can do like a fully Thai menu today or finding like... I think, was it Ina Garten's Gougeres and wanting to do those for the kids? You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, we would also text all the time pictures of foods and recipes (laughs) and talk about, okay, what if you took this element but turned it on its head by doing this? I fell in love with Pilar because I want to eat a different way. I'm known around the kitchen as like Epcot. Epcot as in wanting to try and taste food from around the world, but like not in a good way. Like I sometimes I Epcot in one meal and it doesn't really go very well. I love food from around the world and learning about food from around the world. One of the things also I think folks should know about you is that you have an incredible palate. And an incredibly wide palette, wide ranging. So as a chef, that's really, really fun because it gives you room to play and sort of bring new things in all the time. And so it was always this really wonderful challenge. Yes. And that really comes through in the book too. I also will be like, Pilar, (laughs) cherries and steak. We've got to do something with cherries and steak. It's such a sexy, amazing combo, and I'm not finding it in any Mm -hmm. books, and I want to make steak and cherries. Mm -hmm. And then we would talk about what goes well with that, and then we would say like a really amazing pepper crust on that steak would be the perfect bridge between the meat and the fruit. And then because of the season – Pilar, you ended up gravitating towards cranberries. Mm -hmm. But that is how we take one brick at a time to build the wall of the recipe. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting because, Drew, I'm sure a lot of people do know that you love food and that you love to cook. But I think a lot of people also don't. And you have this gorgeous line of cookware. But Thank you. Yeah. I'm curious, when and how did you know you were a food person. Where does this love and curiosity about food come from, do you think? It came from a really deep-rooted appreciation that I built probably in my teens and 20s. It was funny. This woman asked me the other day, what did you cook for yourself when you lived on your own at 14? Mm. And I was like, that is one of my favorite questions I've ever been asked in this context of this cookbook coming out. And it was a lot of macaroni and cheese and top ramen. And uh, top ramen. um, But there was like egg in the hole and grilled cheeses and kind of easy stuff. But it felt like a big adventure for me. Like I just lived on my own and I didn't care about the furniture or the lighting or the vibe. And I thought, I'd love to have a dinner party. I don't know what that's like. I do know what it's like to watch Melrose Place with a six-pack of beer and takeout pizza and have Leonardo DiCaprio crash the party. Like, good times, man. You're like, this is the life. But I wasn't cooking for myself or other people. 
And it wasn't until I was probably in my early 20s that that all really shifted. And I wanted to create a place that people could come to and I could bring this warmth and experience. I think Pilar said it so well. I'm really community-driven. And I was ready to provide a home space for those people. Yeah, I really love that food seemed to be this anchor for you when you were 14. And then now when you were going through this rough patch and this cross-country move, again, it was sort of this grounding force that pulled you back in to engage with your life. And Pilar, you being there for this new phase of that, I wonder how early on in your relationship cooking together did it occur to you that you were going to write a cookbook? (laughs) I feel like you had thrown out the idea like fairly early on, but it wasn't, oh, we're going to do this and this and this. It was just this twinkle. It's just this sparkle. And Drew does that occasionally. She'll have this little dream that she'll sprinkle here and kind of walk away and sort of see where it lands. And I did have moleskin upon moleskin of notes and oil spattered, whatever recipe, if you could call them that. And I always, after everything we made, and especially if we liked it, I'd be like, did you write it down? She always, every single time. Did you you write write everything down? down? I'd be like, "Uh, no. (laughs) You know, because for me, I cook and you're just, I'll put just the name of what I made. And Drew really started to drill it in me to get into that habit to prepare for the potential of an opportunity, you know? So when I feel like we started to talk about it more seriously, there was a good tome. <laughs> I know where that's hot on. No, uh, I don't think you do. No? I didn't even realize it. I'm having like a weird aha moment. Uh-huh. I was like, oh my God, maybe I was just trying to keep something after losing everything. <laughs> but also, I mean, Drew, you already had this huge cookbook collection. It must have occurred to you. Did you even aspire to write a cookbook before you met Pilar? I actually had been offered to do a few cookbooks over the years, and I always said, oh, no, I would not be the person that you want for this endeavor. And I think the reason I thought that was because I felt, A, ill-equipped, B, I would be creating imposter syndrome for myself, and C, worst of all, and that really parlays into why this book is the style that it is, is... I don't personally care for the lifestyle expert who is polished on the cover of books. I reject that notion and I need the goof, I need the mess, I need the humor, I need the reality. I believe in people when they really are who they are. And to me, chefs are very authentic people. And I just did not feel I belonged in that world. And so the idea of doing like a celebrity name slappy, come bring in a photographer and a patinaed photo shoot was like Yakville to me. So when I met Pilar and this ember turned into a flame and the opportunity came around again. It was very different for me that time. We had been in the kitchen for a few years at that point. I had a point of view. We were storytellers too. You know, I think of the can of Campbell's cream of mushroom soup as a big theme for Pilar and I, because my mom used to make tuna noodle casserole with it, which was my favorite childhood dish. And Pilar... 
I mean, my mom has actually a longer history with uh, the cream of mushroom soup. I don't know if I've told you this story. Mm-hmm. She had an aunt that would do these fancy dinners and they would make the most amazing mushroom soup. And I think my mom was like 11 or 12 at this point. And she would just say, I need to get that recipe, you know, so I can finally make it for myself until one day she went back into the kitchen and she saw, lo and behold, in the trash can was an empty can of cream of mushroom soup. And she was like, <laughs> I can buy it. Oh my God. And she like went to the store only to discover that her allowance, I mean, she was young, her allowance could not cover the can of cream of mushroom soup. And so my mom said from that day on, she would save up for it. And to this day, if you go into our house, wherever they're living in the pantry, it's stockpiled with cream of mushroom soup. And she used to make it for me when I was six. So it's this sort of thread of a story that keeps on giving. And it's like, literally, when you weren't feeling well, that is what she would make for you. So you have this mother healing memory. Absolutely. And for me, it was my favorite dish growing up. And it was a woman from Manila and a woman from California bonding over this iconic can and that we shared these stories. And for me, that's like something we want to do on the show is always just find the universal relatable feelings. So let's talk more about the recipes in the cookbook because I love the book. I love so many things about the book. And Drew, what you said about the aesthetic of it not being too aspirational. As a editor at a food magazine, I see those books come across my desk every day, hundreds of them in my time there. And you're right, they all look the same. Maybe they have a celebrity name attached, but they're very Instagrammy. And Joran Pilar's book really stands apart in how imperfect it is and how intentional it feels. Drew what, Drew has her head on Pilar's shoulder right now. She's maybe crying, maybe laughing, not so sure. I'm just maybe so relieved. She's, she's relieved and happy. That would be. Well, I mean, I feel so many of these emotions from the recipes in the book. So this ode to cream of mushroom soup recipe, it is so foundational to the both of you. But tell me about how you tweaked the dish to make it your own. Why is it an ode to the cream of mushroom soup? Well, I think that probably would have made us fall a little short if we just said, buy this can. Um, (laughs) But a huge inspiration for me is also trying to find alternative ways in which to make things so that there's a lighter approach to Mm -hmm. the ingredients that are less heavy, more digestible. I have the metabolism of a sloth on Valium, (laughs) so I'm like... Are there other ways? And so I was just like, how can we approach a green bean casserole dish in an alternative way that's really rich and beautiful and delicious, but also really healthy? And that was, I think, where the beginning of the mushroom. That's absolutely the beginning of the mushroom soup. I was like, well, I might as well. I'm just going to go for it. Let's just do like a fully vegan dairy-free version and see where we land because I love mushroom soup. The ones I love are loaded with dairy. So I'm like, let's just see. And what's nice about this one is I feel like there is a lot of lightness to it, but it's still super, super flavorful. You know, we used a little bit of cauliflower, a ton of mushroom, and then just a touch of almond milk. And then I think tamari or balsamic to just bring in those flavors. I really think it is a love letter to the mushroom soups of our childhood, but sort of bringing it into a more current palette. I love when you make a mushroom soup, like I want some mushrooms. If it's a total puree, I'm a little sad. So 
I just want the chew. Yeah. Like I love a clam chowder and a mushroom can have that same texture. And I was a vegetarian until I was 26. So I eat a lot of that way and that clam texture and a sort of a lobster bisque element and a cream of mushroom soup, but something where you haven't beat it up into a point where it just feels porridgey and combined. I want different elements and different bites throughout it. You always say the word like tooth. Yeah, toothsome. Yeah. (laughs) There's a little texture, you know, whether it be in a nut or Mm -hmm. a little raw celery. Okay, we're going to take a quick break here. And when we get back, we'll hear a few more recipes from Rebel Homemaker. And then we're going to see how well Drew and Pilar really know each other's palates. Drew, I'm curious, is there a recipe in this book that Pilar introduced you to or that changed your perspective on food? The scampi. The scampi. <laughs> it's my favorite. We have a really wonderful head-on shrimp dish. It's super, super simple, cooks up in no time. It's just such a wonderful balance of the rich, the umami, the garlic, the chilies. It's my absolute favorite scampi I've ever had in my life, and I've traveled the world eating scampies. Like, there's a new sauce that I'm obsessed with that you made the sort of piccata lemon sauce. And I'll literally call her and be like, you're lying. There's <laughs> butter in here. I know it. It's impossible. But I do appreciate that we are, and it's not something I've even talked about so far, is I'm proud of the ingredient integrity we have that's actually extremely healthy to this book and what we're selling it on. But when you get down to the cooking, there is no lack in richness, and yet it's not riddled with fatty elements. And I take a lot of pride in that. I have a food confessional I do with her on Monday mornings where I tell her everything I did over the weekend as if she's my priest. (laughs) I want to hear... What was the last food confessional? <laughs> Egg rolls and nachos. Two different nights. <laughs> that, that seems perfectly all right to me. Okay, so let's talk about a recipe in this cookbook that you, Pilar, you say you make this at least once a week for Drew and her daughters. And it's actually named after Drew's daughters, Frankie and Olive. It is Frankie and Olive's chicken. And I love how you wrote, sometimes they like it, sometimes they don't. You're talking about the kids, not Drew, because (laughs) I think any parent can relate to how finicky kids can be about food, like from one day to the next. But this recipe seems to be a hit at least most of the time. So I would love for you to tell us about the recipe, how it comes together. (laughs) I feel like when I first started working with families, I would always say like the biggest critics would always be the kids. Like the kids would give me a complex about my career choice. Yeah, (laughs) I can see that. I had always seen that style in a cookbook where you carve the chicken almost like it's a turkey dinner on Thanksgiving. And it always just eluded me. I, Pilar taught me how to spatchcock, which is just my favorite thing to say. (laughs) I'll throw it in anytime. And I remember the first time going up the scissors and the bones, and I was just like, ah, 
this is crazy. But that's how you get it splayed out like that. Mm -hmm. And I sucked at it. But I did spatchcock. I think my oven and the size of the bird were completely off from Pilar's traditional approach. But, you know, I just loved that she made something for my kids that it is roast chicken, <laughs> Pilar's roast chicken. And, and and you do announce it like that every I, single time. There's, it will <laughs> never not be roast. And the girls go, mom, but they love it. Yeah, it definitely has Julia Child vibes <laughs> yeah. to it. And I'm curious because everyone has their own way of roasting a chicken. Like I probably have three different methods depending on how much time I have. So, Pilar, you pre-season and chill the whole bird in this mm-hmm. recipe for at least an hour and up to a day. And then you have this delicious-sounding compound butter that goes all over. That seems important. Talk us through that and then what else you roast along with the chicken. Well, I mean, I think there's really classic flavors. You know, with kids, a lot of the times we try not to go too crazy outside of, it's getting outside a lot of the box. <laughs> it's true. It is getting a lot I better. I know. It's more fun. We did bu- dumplings with them the other week, which is really, really fun. Um, anyway, I'm a big fan of pre-seasoning my meat in general. So one hour, but I'm like, always go for the 24 if you can. Big fan of lemon zest and garlic, and that gets stuffed in between the skin. And at that point point, you're like, this cannot be a bad chicken. And then super classic, you have paprika, you have garlic powder, onion powder, which are things I don't usually use. But if you've ever had like a chicken nugget that you buy out of a box, the reason why they're so good and so addictive, it's that flavor. Then you have the vegetables, you know, there's like onions, more lemon. Mm -hmm. It's pure joy. potato and Broccoli. Yeah. And it's a really, really wonderful way to get the kids eating the roasted vegetables because they start to caramelize and get a little sweet and nutty. And yeah. And you have this interesting technique, Pilar. You preheat the oven to 475 in the recipe, but then you reduce it to like 425 right before you put the chicken in. And I have, a, I have a guess about why you do that, but I want to hear the reasoning. I just find that it starts to crisp up without the burning and then the spatchcocking always, it just cuts down the time. Yeah. I think the chicken is a great example. Actually, all of these that we've talked about, the scampi and the mushroom soup, that you find so many cookbooks that promise to be weeknight or home cook friendly and really they're fancified versions of these recipes. But yours, I really believe that this is what you're cooking and eating together and with your family. Were you tempted at any point to kind of gussy up any of these recipes to make them, you know, public facing? Pilar has a much more elaborate cookbook in her. And I appreciate (laughs) how she like had to dumb it down in certain ways because I am such a home cook and I'm not capable of doing those really incredible techniques. (laughs) I mean, I think that's the thing about the book. There's so much there, right? You were talking about the photographs, but your essays are also incredibly moving and really reflective of the time that we were at. We really had to narrow down the recipes, but I think what we chose were really recipes like from this home. They're what we make, but, you know, Pilar in some ways says, I'm trying to lift you up. I'm holding you back. (laughs) 
That's so not true. That is so it is not true. true. <laughs> it is true. You should see the way Pilar really cooks. <laughs> That's the next I mean, book. That's the next book. This is your launch pad, Pilar. Oh. <laughs> I want it to be. <laughs> okay, so now that we have a little peek into the way you two cook together, let's test it out with a game. I want to see how well you two really know each other's food preferences. Uh oh. Okay. Pilar, I'm going to ask you Drew's food preferences first, and then you'll have to pick, and I'm going to keep score, and then we will flip it and ask Drew about yours. All right? Okay. Pilar, this is for Drew. Sweet or salty? Salty. True. Crunchy or creamy? Although recently. I know. All of a sudden it's like I'm pregnant or something. I just am craving sugar. (laughs) Crunchy or creamy? Thai. Thai. True. Okay. Mild, medium, or hot? Hot. True. (laughs) Plain or pepperoni? Oh, God. That's hard. I would say plain, but I feel like I'm wrong. You're wrong. Yeah. Pepperoni. I knew it. Pepperoni. (laughs) All right. Uh, Butter or olive oil? Why do we have to choose? This is sad. (laughs) Have to pick one. Desert Island. Butter. Butter. (laughs) Let's go with butter. I'm torn. I know. That's why. I know. I I think. I feel like she loves them equally. (laughs) I do. And they're so different. I almost would pick olive oil. Because it's more neutral, yeah, but but butter always what gives, gives that. What gives you more joy, though? What gives you more joy? That's a good question. <laughs> I think I, my aunt, I mean, my subconscious that's supposed to be like, you want olive oil, but probably in my heart I want butter. <laughs> butter, yeah. Yeah. Butter's more joyful. Yeah. Okay. Last one. Mayo or mustard? No, that's like a tie. Probably mustard a little more, but... You do love your veganese. She's right. I'm torn. I like a Coleman's mustard and a veganese, and I love them equally, and yeah. I hate something without either. Yeah. Drew loves her condiments. <laughs> I want to open a restaurant called Condiment City, and Can it's it just- Can it just be condiments? I it's just, just do proteins with walls and racks of condiments. This is how it happens. <laughs> All right. Let's 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 switch it up. Drew, are you ready for- Oh, my God. Yes. I'm so it's excited. This different is... questions, too. It's more fun for me to guess her. Okay, for Pilar, breakfast, lunch, or dinner? Dinner. True. <sighs> nice. Chocolate or vanilla? Chocolate, but I believe she likes vanilla. True. Great. True. I feel like my process was also you would feel like chocolate was a more necessary, versatile ingredient, yeah. but you but love I the like flavor vanilla. of vanilla. Yeah. yeah. Drew is like going full method into Pilar's brain right now. I wish people could see this. It's very interesting telepathic uh, (laughs) gesturing going on. (laughs) Okay. White, red, or rosé? White. False. Mm -hmm. Oh, wait. You like a red. I do like a red. You know what? I try to serve her wine while we're cooking. <laughs> and usually it's the daytime. So you go for the, white for the white. And so white wine on working. Yeah, when she's working. And she, by the way, I'm always, I'll push it on her. She's not a big drinker. Bread or pasta or potatoes? That is such a hard one. That one's really stumping me. I mean, I want to say pasta, but I don't – I feel like it's not. I Potatoes? I don't know. What is the answer? 
offering. I feel like also, Amanda, you're missing a major starch group. Right. Like rice should totally. I know. Be I know. <laughs> but it would be it would be potatoes. I would subsist on potato chips and French fries if I could. I. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I feel like that was a really tough one for me because I know you're cooking so well. <laughs> Fudgy or cakey? Fudgy. All the way. <laughs> nice. Okay, last one. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Coffee, coffee, coffee. Yeah. Can't live Yay! without. You both did so well. <laughs> Thank you. We're going to call it a tie. I have one last question, and it's related to the section in the book, The 30 Meals of a Lifetime. Drew, you listed these 30 meals, and I'm so impressed because I don't think I could remember 30 meals, period, that I've had in my life. And you have these 30 beautiful memories ranging from, you know, fine dining to craft macaroni and cheese. Mm -hmm. Is there a meal that the two of you have had together that you can say is the most memorable or particularly memorable? I feel like we might have a little different answers for these. That Thanksgiving meal was really epic. It was special. The turkey roulade is one of my very favorite recipes in the book. And Thanksgiving is one of my favorite meals. And stuffing is one of my favorite foods. So the turkey roulade to me is a great approach to getting all the flavors of Thanksgiving without it being a traditional turkey and a traditional stuffing. And the building of that whole meal, the coming across the mushroom soup, the memory of that day, the hearing Pilar's footsteps mm -hmm. like at five in the morning. It was very early. And I woke up and I was like, are you like, is this okay? And it was a really big meal and other family members from the neighborhood ended up coming and we kept extending the table more and more and more. And it all started with this drawing of Polar's that I fell so in love with. It's in the book. And it was definitely like one of my favorite days of life. I know. I'm going to start crying. It was a really special – it was a really special time. You know what I want to do is I want to go to Caviar Caspia with you in Paris. <laughs> that would be a fun destination oh meal. God. Yes. Why do you want to take her there? Because – that baked potato, which is such a lo-fi California 70s baked potato bar, there wasn't anything snobby or fancy about it. They loaded up with this complete diametrically opposing the snobbiest of foods on the planet, caviar. And so it's like reality and fantasy just exploding in one dish. I think it feels like one of the most privileged meals I've ever had. Mm -hmm. And so I guess I'd like to have a very privileged meal with Pilar and treat her to that. I love that. I do Especially too. since potatoes are your favorite starch, <laughs> aside from rice. <laughs> we have just discovered that we I both like, love uh, an ingredient, but I've never... I have like a condition too. I would love to look it up scientifically. Why my <laughs> mouth genuinely starts to water. She does drool a lot. I do. <laughs> it's true. I straight up... I salivate. Sorry, Amanda. <laughs> Well, that feels like a great note to end on. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> yep, I ruined it once again. <laughs> Thank you both so much. Thank, Thank you. you. 
Thank you to Drew Barrymore and Pilar Valdez for joining the podcast today. And be sure to check out their book, Rebel Homemaker. Tons of great recipes and looks great on the shelf too. And make sure to give Drew and Pilar a follow on Instagram. Drew Barrymore is at, you guessed it, Drew Barrymore. And Pilar Valdez is Chef Pilar Valdez. If you love the show, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps keep us food people employed. And you can follow Bon Appetit on Instagram at Bon Appetit Mag and on Twitter at Bon Appetit. Food People is produced by Bon Appetit in partnership with Pod People. Vishnu Vallabhaneni is our senior producer. Ginny Bloom is our showrunner. Madison Lusby is our production manager. And Morgan Foose and Jessica Jones are our associate producers. This episode was engineered by Trey Booty, and the music is by DJ Newmark. June Kim and I provide editorial direction for the series. Special thanks to Matt Sav, Nico Steele, and Julie Shen. I'm your host, Amanda Shapiro, and I'll see you next week. Thank you.